Nicodemus came to Christ uh, privately, we know at least on Nicodemus's part, we are not totally sure if he went with an official capacity to really check him out. It was probably a part of the role as the teacher of Israel. He also went because of his own curiosity to try to understand this rabbi. That the report was he taught like no other man. There were already times where the, the peers of, of Nicodemus were um, wrought with jealousy. And I think initially their job, they were doing their job to try to figure out, is this another madman? Is this another self-proclaimed Messiah? All of those motives are pure. But we see Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He, he comes to Jesus and he begins to question him. And Chris did such a great job last week. I preached first service, and I just could not do second service. Chris sat in first service, took notes, and preached on Sunday morning uh, second service. And I just say, God is very, very good. And so is Chris, right? So thank you, Chris. But we outlined just what it would have been to, to, to be Nicodemus. And to bridge these two messages, I think the best way to look at John 3 as we move to John 7, and that's the text we will be in today if you want to kind of get there. I think we see within the life of Nicodemus four significant, four significant choices on his, uh, uh, that, that he chose to, to do. I think though these four that I'm going to outline are really a typology for all of us. When we look at characters in the Bible, uh, Chris mentioned last week, it's, it's, I think it's important to sometimes personalize them, put ourselves in their shoes and, and really try to understand what, what would that have been like and what was the significant transformation in their life. And, and through the study of, of characters and typologies, we can, we can really begin to say, oh yeah, that's, that's what I experienced or those are the tensions that I, that I have come up, uh, up against. And these are the, the things that I can do to, to get through some of the challenges of the faith. I think Nicodemus is really a, a topology for, for almost every group. The first group of folk, and you may be sitting here today, you, you do not buy into all of this. You do not buy into Christianity you barely have, you know, a God in your worldview. You come maybe curious. You come maybe because you were invited. Maybe you come with just a tad bit of a seeker kind of sensitive way of just trying to hear him out. Oh, you've, you've understood science and you've understood, you've understood all of, the, all of the, the, the things that you have developed your worldview around. But yet you're here. And you know that this is kind of the churchy time of season. You know, as Lawrence said, Palm Sunday today, celebrating hallelujah, right? The king has come. And then next week we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. You see, I think a Nicodemus is, is, was there. I think he looked at Jesus in, in that peculiar intellectual way, questioning him, wondering. And I think it's okay because the significant choices that Nicodemus makes are good for you, no matter what your worldview is. The second are those that, 
of maybe embrace just a little bit of Jesus. You, maybe you've even embraced a belief in him. You know he's historical. You, don't, you haven't gone through, you know, you're kind of done with that gymnastic. And now, but to make him God just is really, really difficult. It's, a, it's, it's, just, it's just you kind of hang in the balance. I think Nicodemus is a great topology for you. For you, 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 you say, okay, well, he, I can't deny that he probably was a prophet. I don't get all that, all that prophecy stuff, but I, I, I get he's a prophet. I, he obviously, he was a good teacher. I mean, you know, 21st century, people still know who Jesus is, so you got me on that one. But to make him God, I, I just don't know. I think Nicodemus was there. I think Nicodemus was hearing. We learned last week that when he said the word son of man, that, those were not insignificant words. Jesus was proclaiming himself to be God. And so I think Nicodemus' four choices are really, really help those that are, that are sort of in the middle. And then those that have bought in, you're, you're, you're filled with the Spirit. You're working and doing everything that you can to, to live the righteous life that God has called. You have your ups, you have your downs, you have your faith questions. You have all, you know, all of the things that you can have in, in this bandwidth of walking with Him. You too can have these these four choices, to be very, very significant in the life of those that, that have faith and are doing their very best, and even, even to answer questions, to look at societal norms, look at other worldviews, be able to answer for them. I think that, for those, it, it's Nicodemus takes us to the, the greater part of this challenge of those that are in the faith, and we see through his journey that, that he takes it and he asks himself these questions. And then God uses him. In the text that we're going to look today in John chapter 7. With one simple question. If I was to try not to bury the lead. I would say to you. Today if you get the one question. I think it can make a transformative difference. In all three areas. I propose to you that Nicodemus chose four strategic, uh, selfish, in a good way, significant. He, he humbled himself. The first thing he did is he humbled himself. He allowed his ego to be at bay. He quieted himself. This is the teacher of Israel. He quieted himself. He, he didn't press. He didn't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You ever been with the smartest guy or gal in the room and you're sitting there and they actually work very hard to be the smartest person in the room and, and you're, you know, you're quiet. The other thing I'll tell you about Nicodemus is I truly believe that he was an introvert. I truly believe he was an introvert. I think he had an intellectual pathway, you know. He, he studied the scripture. If you're the teacher, if you're an academic, not that all academics are introvert. I'm not saying that. I believe that he was introverted. And so when you're in a room like that, the introverts, now you're not going to say it out loud. But you're saying inside your heart and your soul when they finally have taken you to the place, you're like, could you just shut up? Please. Just hush, quiet yourself, and listen. 
I didn't hear any amens from you introverts, but that's okay. I wouldn't expect an introvert to say amen out loud. He humbled himself, he quieted himself, and then he opened himself. See, these are choices. These are spiritual choices. I think they're, they're obvious choices for those that, that, are, that, are, that are questioning. And they are challenges to those who have settled. Those that say, you know, I, know, I, I got this down. I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't need to investigate any further. But he opened himself. He opened himself and he didn't realize, and that's what I love about this old clip, is that the Nicodemus character, right, he's reading, right? If he didn't know it, his script is actually from Isaiah 53, where it's speaking of Jesus. 700, 750 years prior to Jesus being born, the prophet Isaiah is just, is just talking about Jesus throughout this whole thing, this prophetic book of Isaiah. And then you'll notice that he, he said, if you caught it, in the script it says, he says, born again. He had this aha. If you remember last week, Chris taught about how Jesus said that the Son of Man would be lifted up, very similar to when Moses saved the people from the snake bites, that when the Son of Man was lifted up, raised on the cross, there would be and should be a tremendous aha from what all the prophecies had foretold. Nicodemus opened himself up. He walked away from John 3 conversation, continuing to be a student, continuing maybe being plagued, maybe in that middle, maybe in that, that time of even talking himself out of. Really, maybe he went because he's introverted. He, he really had the dialogue within himself. He didn't make his, he didn't make his opinion known you know, in, the, in the public or with his peers, but he wrestled with God. He wrestled with this, but he opened himself up spiritually. And then lastly, he trusted himself relationally. He trusted himself relationally. You see, when we look at the worldviews of the day, the, the, the elephant in this room is, who is Jesus? What is he saying? How dare he say that? Can you believe he said that? Let's arrest him. Can you believe he said that again? Let's kill him. How can we trap him? How can we get this dude done? How can we get this deal done? That's the sociological, if you will. That's what is the penetrating center of this narrative. What we have in our world is, is other sociological issues that we wrestle with and we say, how do, how do you take that and understand it biblically and then what do you do relationally, right? Easily could come to your mind. I'm not going to speak a bunch of them out today. But what we have is we have a theological viewpoint of things. And I think we have a sociological view. And then we have a relational view. And what we see and what is, I believe, called of us as Christians in, in the Christian worldview amongst all kinds of other worldviews is to really work within all three of them. I think we see this in Nicodemus. That yes, he had the theology down, but sociologically his group was playing the hierarchy game. Right? When you're in a middle school context or you're in a high school context or even in an adult context, sometimes the hierarchy wins. 
And it's a top-down. We'll make the decisions for the rest. And so whatever we pour in our politics, whatever we pour our monies into, whatever, it becomes this agenda that now if you question it, it comes against you and you are, I'll use theological terms for it, but you're like accursed now because you don't fit into the sociological hierarchy. No matter what your worldview says, this is what lays claim of the day. And then everybody goes, what do we do relationally with that? If we say there's yes or no's, but it's only yes, but as soon as you say no, here's the example. There's the law of God, which they knew, the law of God that we know. We know scripture speaks to things. But at the same time, there's also the hierarchical viewpoint where God's law is out. Now it's the the group norm. It's the hierarchy of the group that now makes the law. And then there's autonomous. Obviously, in the 21st century, we live within an autonomous mindset, meaning you govern yourself with your own law. I govern myself with my own law. But what happens is then what if I say my law is different than your law? What usually prevails is that then I'll go, I am not buying into your autonomy. And when that happens, it changes relationally. Now we are pit against each other again. And it keeps the chaos and the disunity of our world going. Nicodemus comes onto the scene, John chapter 7, great chapter. As a matter of fact, if you're not in a, in a regular Bible reading program, let me just encourage you to read the Gospel of John this week. Just pour yourself into the Gospel of John. Man, you'll come, you'll come next week, you'll come Resurrection Sunday ready because you will have gotten the Gospel's viewpoint and John's Gospel's viewpoint of Jesus. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So again, the backdrop to seven is they're questioning, there's opinions, there's some, others, few. There's all kinds of things going on in seven, and they're trying to, again, arrest him. And so like, I'd, I'd like to pick it up on verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whose those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. John's commentary. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this is the prophet. Surely this is the prophet of God. Others said, He is the Christ. He is the coming Messiah. Still others said, You know, they were in the questioning phase, right? How, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that Christ will come from David's seed and from Bethlehem and the town where David lived? We would say they were just information short, right? Their teachers weren't breaking out the word trying to prove or disprove if Jesus was or was not. They were more in the hierarchical frame. They weren't studying as much as much as allowing their hierarchy to say, listen, if you question us, you're a curse. Verse 43, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. 
Sound like today. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Verse 45, they had sent the temple guards out. Now we're getting the, back, we're getting the ending of that story. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Now, my mind, unfortunately, I have been plagued with the latter part of the 20th century in Monty Python. And I can't help, every time I've read this, even in Bible college, I mean, I'm like, gosh, I just see this. You know, I see these guards. These are blue-collar guys. They are not theological scholars. They're the henchmen, and the, they're the bouncers of the hierarchy, man. They're just getting it done, and they're like, okay, that's what we got to do. That's what we got to do relationally. They probably were a little off relationally based on what they do. Any of you that have worked in the prisons, any of you that worked in law enforcement, you know the biases that can be built up in this kind of frame of reference, right? So they come, and they say, why didn't you, why didn't you bring him? They didn't say, well, he escaped. Uh, Peter pulled out his sword again, you know, or the, for, for the first time. We don't hear all that. What we hear is the testimony of what relationally Christ was doing to people. He said, no one ever spoke the way this man does. No one. These are blue-collar guys. These are guys that, that don't know a whole lot, but they know enough. They're Jewish. They would have gone through the, the, the principal part of the schooling. They would have had a, maybe by this time, they would have still, you know, had gone to synagogue and had gone to the temple. And they, they probably would have been, you know, not necessarily totally rusty, but they would have gotten picked up on things. But they were not, they were not studiers necessarily of the word. But they experienced relationally the one who was the word, who was speaking the word, and his hierarchy was love. Everybody's loved. And it changed their hearts. You mean he has deceived you also? Oh, you see the hierarchy? Oh, he's deceived them too. The Pharisees, it says, retorted in my version. And then is Nicodemus' moment. Remember, Nicodemus humbled himself. He has... He's been quieting in himself. He has opened himself and he's trusted himself relationally. I think this is a, a pretty good opportunity to say, you know, I think, he's, I think he's a believer. Now, there's always a debate on that. But let's not get lost in the debate. As much as see how the four choices that Nicodemus made really are significant and why I really believe, John, Put them in the gospel. He says, you mean he, they said, you mean he's deceived you also? Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed him? No. Were they right? No. <laughs> if you're new to this, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And so as they are just, you know, they're ramping up, they're in their group, they got their agenda. It doesn't matter theologically. They have stopped asking questions. They have stopped searching. They've made their decisions. And they're like, has any of the Pharisees ever that? No! And then John and the Holy Spirit. I love it. Verse 50 says, uh, 
Oh, excuse me, it says, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, why do they know nothing, guys? You're the teachers. Why do they know nothing? See, it, 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 the indictment's on, them, on themselves, right? They're a, a curse on them, right? Meaning, we've got it. Here's the hierarchy. If you question it or you don't get it, you're a curse. We're sorry you're so dumb. We don't need this. Sociologically, they're going, why even question? And then the beauty of the Holy Spirit, verse 50 says, the name, Nicodemus. And then John gives us the context. Who had gone to Jesus earlier, John chapter 3, and who was one of their own number, one of the Pharisees' own number. Can you imagine the tension there, right? He's not going to defy his character. He's not all of a sudden going to fumble and bumble and be some different personality style than God ever desired for him to be. But what we see is this, this beautiful picture of one who does stand up within the appropriate context of what he's dealing with. And I want to reduce what he says down to really one question. It's the same question. But he says, oh, I mean, I just imagine. No! I don't know what is happening in those nanoseconds. I guess this is my time. I guess this is the time where they could, they could see my inner thoughts, my inner dialogue. I mean, I could certainly come out of the closet, if you will, on this one. This is, this is the time. Oh. Nicodemus, you have something to say? Well, I'm wondering what in our law prohibits us from seeking a hearing of this man. You see, Nicodemus had to be in the scriptures as he was studying and looking. He can only, I can only imagine that, that he was looking at his peers. He saw the kangaroo court. He saw their agenda being way too much. They weren't even honoring that which God had given him. They didn't really care about relationships. They were reduced to letting people just continue to be dumb, buy in, drink the Kool-Aid, and miss the whole point. You see, Nicodemus would have known that in Exodus chapter 23, verse 1, it says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Even more succinctly, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, and I charge your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge rightly, righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with them. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. The small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case, the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. You see, they had forgotten. And so Nicodemus, who had chosen to quiet himself just to listen, 
I truly believe that God gave him, and that's why it is for us in our scripture, for us to just come up with one simple question. You see, the the differing belief systems in this world we're going to come against, what happens is we end up internalizing it and sociologically, we can get eaten up we can, because we, we don't have enough to say or we, don't, we, you know, we, we, we still kind of want to stay popular or want to keep our job. or I mean, whatever the case may be, that pressure is there to defend the gospel. Most of us are introverted. And most, it's probably 100% Christian you know, introversion when it comes to you know, defending the faith or being outspoken. It's just not something. It's just something we're so uncomfortable. But could we maybe like... Nicodemus, just allow ourselves to, to humble ourselves, let, let ego and, and go, go to the side, right? And, and to, just, to just let ourselves be quieted in a, and then be open and give ourselves over spiritually so that we might ask one simple question. When the, when the things that we just know don't sound right and we don't embrace it biblically, we don't, we, it just does not work. But man, it just seems like we're in a season where Everything seems to just not fit our worldview. I wonder if we could follow Nicodemus and say, have you checked out the man? Don't be so concerned about what I think about something. But could you check out the man that I follow? Can you give him a hearing? Could you take the opportunity to just put your ego aside and just study the man who's changed my life? In the chapters right after this, there's the blind guy. And Jesus heals him. And then what do they do? They all converge. The, the leaders come and they're trying to get this guy's. So what did he do? What did he do? You know what I mean? All these questions. And the blind guy just goes, listen, I was blind. Now I see. I can't explain it all to you. And so they ask him again. I love this part. They, they ask him again. They keep, they keep questioning him. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, well, you guys got so many questions. Are you interested in him too? Not in the same way. Not with the same agenda. But Nicodemus stands up within that context. He doesn't blow his cover. He may be considered a secret disciple still. I think next week we're going to see how he blows it all the way out on Resurrection Sunday. But for this, I wonder what the Holy Spirit would want to do within us. That when we don't know how to answer our friends, and they kind of know we're a Jesus freak, or they kind of know we kind of, from a biblical worldview. So what do you think of this topic, and 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 we're not prepared? I wonder if today we can learn from Nicodemus just one profound question. Maybe a little bit of talk beforehand, a little talk after, but just one significant question. Have you heard him out? Have you heard of him? Do you know what he's saying? And so those of you that are in, in this camp that are going, ah, and I still don't understand that. Okay, great. I'm going to suggest to you, give him a hearing. Those that are kind of riding the fence, kind of going, ah, I just don't know if he's God or not. Man, poor yourself. Have you you've given him a hearing? And for those of us that are spirit-filled, we're just doing our very best in our righteousness and so forth. 
Can you imagine if we just focused on just continuing to give him a hearing? To not just get settled and say, I've read it before. What's amazing is the older I get, I read passages, I'm like, I never saw that. I never saw it. Because he's constantly doing new things. The Holy Spirit is using the word to train us and to grow us and to get us through until that promised resurrection day. So before I pray, I just, I just want to ask you a question. Will you give him a hearing? Father, thank you so much for the gospel of John and of course all of your word. But we also thank you for this, these little snippets of this man named Nicodemus who had such who had such intellect and had such power. And, and Father, to think that, that he humbled himself, he let his ego go to the side and he quieted himself so that he could continue to gain more knowledge. And it ended up changing his life. And he opened himself spiritually. He didn't just arrive spiritually and say, well, I'm here. He opened himself. And God... Lastly, as a great example to us, he trusted himself with you. Father, may we in this place, no matter where we're at, may we take these and make them our choices. And may we experience spiritual transformation like never before. May we begin to see that, that Jesus, that you truly are God. And for those of us that have been in the faith, that you are so faithful to us and loving to us. And that until that day we meet you, you are transforming us. God, stir within us the question, are we giving you a hearing? I pray through Christ. Amen.